Hello everyone. Welcome to Crew Room Conversations. I am your host Nitin Velde and I'm delighted to bring to you stories, anecdotes and experiences of some of the best air warriors of the Indian Air Force. So do stay tuned. Happy listening and Jai Hind. What does it take to lead a team of air warriors when the tsunami strikes your air force station? everybody and thank you for joining us on the crew room conversations today we are going to talk about something that has been very very uh, historic and tragic in in many ways so let me tell you how i'm going to start this session i'm going to start this session with what i went through on that particular day the day was 26th of december 2004 and sometime in the afternoon my deputy flight commander uh, vijay yadav he walked up to our house and said nitin we got to launch ourselves to sri lanka because there has been some kind of an earthquake in that area and indian air force is bound to press in some helicopters that time i was in me 8 helicopter unit in lanka and on inquiry uh, it was revealed that there is some kind of heavy heavy kind of damage that has happened because a massive earthquake which has hit the entire eastern region eastern shoreline of india but when we understood on the afternoon of 26th of december 2004 that our base in karnikobar was also affected in a huge 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 proportion and all of us were wondering with a lot of anxiety at this what is going to happen and uh, unfortunately the news that kept on pouring in was not very nice so today ladies and gentlemen we are going to recount the horrific incidences of the day when the tsunami actually hit the air force station karnikobar and today show i am pleased to invite and welcome air commodore krishna kumar uh, a kirti chakra awardee by the president of india thank you so much sir for joining us uh, on crew room conversations thank you nitin thank you very much for giving me an opportunity uh, to share my experiences during the worst uh, natural calamities that we see in the recent times i am i am aware sir as we go across with the conversation we are going to get more and more insights you are commanding helicopter unit at air force station karnikobar am i right sir that's right i took over the command of uh, 122 helicopter flight we call ourselves the flying dolphins situated uh, at air force station karnikobar i took over the command on 8th of november 2004 okay sir and and just uh, take us through sir when you are saying karnikobar and port blair so uh, just to make people understand a little bit better what happened at this air force base is it a totally away from port blair and a totally uh, uh, secluded kind of an uh, environment nitin if you may permit uh, before we start uh, i would like to pay tributes to all of our uh, friends colleagues near and dear ones whom we lost during this great tragedy on 26th of december 2004 i'm with you so i'm with you on that uh, karnikobar is a small island Uh, this is the northernmost island in the chain of andaman nicobar islands this is the northernmost island of the nicobar group of islands which is the southern group of islands okay sir uh, it is separated uh, from the mainland of india's east coast by about 1500 kilometers okay. it takes uh, about 3 days on a fair weather uh, sail from uh, the chennai or the calcutta by ship or about 2 and 1/2 hours by flight to reach this place 
Okay, in the map, it's, it looked like a speck in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And the island is a small island with about 12 kilometers by 16 kilometers dimension. Okay. It's got uh, uh, roughly 126 square kilometers area. Mm-hmm. And by and large, it's all plain and conforms to mean sea level elevation. Okay. Sir. The nearest uh, major uh, island is the Port Blair, which is about uh, another uh, close to uh, 45 minutes of flying by uh, a jet plane. Okay, sir. And uh, that's about uh, 300, 350 kilometers north of this island. So it has got a typical component. There is a helicopter unit and then the other support services, sir. Uh, or what, was it, what was it during your time? Yeah, uh, during my time, it was uh, an Air Force base was uh, you know built up over a period of time by the Air Force. And we had a helicopter unit, which is the 1W helicopter unit, primarily looking after all the chain of islands. Okay, sir. There used to be a lot of uh, you know requirements of the islands, so all that is looked after by this helicopter unit. We had a radar unit located there, and the usual support service of Air Force Base that you have all the administrative support, the medical facilities, the accounts, and all facilities we had built up over a period of time. Sure. That's how the Air Force Base was. So on the twenty sixth of December, when this unfortunate incident happened. Uh, was there a, was what was the kind of thing happening before that? Was there an exercise going on, or what is the usual? Does Dece- is December a, a heavy task unit uh, activities or something like that, sir? You know uh, this uh, place. So uh, we have enough of flying to look after all the islands, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an exercise which is going on uh, with the Andaman Nicobar Command that just got over. And uh, generally, this is a lean period because uh, you know it's a Christmas holidays, etc. If you see the island is far away, I told you. Mm-hmm. So people suffer from something called the island syndrome because we are far removed from the mainland. Okay. So there's an element of remoteness. Though mm-hmm. we have the uh, married accommodation, people are staying mostly with families, but there are a lot of people who are not uh, keeping their families also there. So uh, a good amount of people used to be sent on leave within the allotted, uh, you know, allocated uh, permitted limits. So that's what what is happening. And uh, otherwise, it was a, a normal phase. And what would be the approximate on the 26th morning? What would be the approximate number of uh, air warriors and their families who are within the air force station, sir? Uh, we must have had about all put together around uh, 2000, uh, around 2000 uh, people were there. Okay, sir. Okay, sir. So now uh, uh, I know it's going to get difficult uh, for you to kind of uh, recount that, sir, but as much as possible. And uh, please make yourself comfortable. And if you want, we can take a break, sir. So. What exactly, uh, you know, could you just take us through the happenings on the 26th? Yeah, as I mentioned now, this uh, island had all the facilities. Uh, there was, except for you know, a few you know, issues like uh, snake bites and uh, malaria, which were brought under control. Uh, other than that, there were no issues in the island. And uh, we had enough of flying to keep ourselves busy. And something what we miss in mainland, we had abundance of fresh air. So life was good. And this was uh, 26th of December. Uh, day after Christmas, it is a Sunday. Uh, it is time was roughly around six thirty in the morning. So I was woken up by my wife, and when I looked at her, she was looking very petrified, and she shouted, "Earthquake! Earthquake!" So I have been through earthquakes earlier while serving in north and northeast part of our country. So I was not uh, reacting so uh, swiftly that time, but then I realized that the the intensity was increasing exponentially. If you go back and check the records, the, this earthquake was triggered by a, a sub-oceanic uh, collision or uh, shift of the uh, Burmese and the Indian uh, plates okay. underwater. 
and the epicenter was roughly around uh, close to the western coast of sumatra of indonesia okay, okay. Uh, they, it is estimated that uh, the energy which was generated by this was equivalent to 23000 atomic bombs uh, which was uh, dropped in hiroshima that is okay. the kind of energy which was created by this sub oceanic mm. shift of the plates mm. Mm. and it was recorded 9.1 to 9.3 on the scale now uh, if you see the fault line uh, the sumatra and uh, the andaman record group of islands literally we are very close to the uh, the epicenter okay sir that is the reason why we also had the same almost same intensity of the earthquake okay sir now from now on events are happening pretty fast mm-hmm. my wife ran out to open the door okay towards the door i went to the children's room my daughter was about 13 year old she had uh, thrown she was thrown off the bed okay. she collected herself and started running behind my wife i picked up my son who was about 8 year old and all three of us trying to run and get out of the house we were getting tossed from wall to wall you know the intensity was so high okay. we could hear the rumbling noise of the earth below and there was you know rocking motion in all three planes okay and is unable to move and we thought we are going to get trapped in the house and the house is going to collapse right right why could not open the front door because it was jammed it was a metallic frame door so right. the frame had got jammed mm. so luckily for us the rear door was a wooden door and we could open that and we all of us came out and we just came and stood behind the house okay the entire island was experiencing the same trauma at this time okay sir there were some buildings collapsing we stood there and it is estimated that the earthquake lasted for about 10 minutes 10 minutes sir that's what the records say yeah yeah i understand sir yes yeah but together the build up to the intense phase and then the uh, dying down phase hmm. and we were still waiting there and slowly earthquake died down and when you're saying we are waiting uh, like a typical air force station where the houses a block of four sir the way it happens in any other air force station uh, yeah, the houses were uh, a block of four houses uh, ground plus one yeah and the roofs were uh, tin roofs because the constructions were uh, earthquake resistant construction so the roof was made light okay sir like my house and the station commander's house are independent houses okay and they were located quite uh, close to the uh, seashore that is about 100 meters from the seashore okay that is the location now after this is over uh, one knows that you know immediately after that there's not going to be any major earthquake there will be after shocks but they will be of lesser intensity right so we moved in front of the house did an external uh, you know survey of the house everything okay that is the time the station commander who is a boss of the air force base yes captain uh, bandobadhyay vv bandobadhyay he drew past and he gave me a thumbs up okay. so i told him yes everything is fine then i told my wife you know can relax now i'll go to the office i would like to have a look at the helicopters and any other damage and around any any other problems so i said i'll go instead and change my dress and go so i came in from the rear door again and got into my house everything was thrown as if somebody had done it with vengeance right it is quite a quite a scary sight then i went to the bedroom to change my dress now remember all of us all of us means in the entire air force everyone had come out of the houses in night suits okay so i took off my top to change into flying clothing i took my top and then i heard my wife screaming something mm. Mm. i was wondering as to what is this now because there was no more earthquake is house collapsing right uh, but the survival instinct in me said that leave everything and just run so okay. i left everything and came out of the house ran out of the house probably that split second decision saved my life because by the time i came in front of the house 
Okay. What I saw was my wife was struggling to open the gate of the house. Okay. With my children and the sea, which had churned up water, okay. very murky water, uh, about four feet high. It was an invasion of the sea onto the land, and it had entered my lawns already. Four four feet already entered into your lawns. So I also ran. We opened the gate. We ran out. Now simultaneously, what is happening is that there's one uh, uh, young officer called by the name of Flight Lieutenant Vijay, Flying Officer Vijay, first floor of his uh, officer's mess. Right. where his room was and he was seeing this uh, sea water receding okay. and every uh, search it was uh, you know advancing more and more so okay. he sensed some danger and he cautioned everyone shouted everyone that you know the sea is coming in run towards the runway okay the runway of karnikabar is about 1.5 kilometers landwards into the land into the land so from approximately from your house uh, one could say about a kilometer was it distance approximately a kilometer plus Okay, distance there, but uh, at at the same time, you know, hoping against hope, we thought we'll run towards the center of the run, center of the island. Okay, hence we all uh, started running towards the runway. Now events have happened very fast, pretty faster than even memory could record. Right, right. My wife and uh, one officer, wing commander Shukla, came in his Maruti car. He stopped. He had some space. He put my wife and son into the car and drove off. Myself and my daughter were running all barefoot. We're running. And uh, also, my wife had looked back, and he, she saw one wave crashing onto my house. In the meantime, okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't look back. I continued running, and we ran and uh, somewhere close to you know the mechanical transport section, empty section, what we call where we have the vehicles. I told my daughter to continue going ahead. She was quite disoriented. So we just go ahead. Let me go and pick up my vehicle. I had an ambassador car as an official car those days. Yeah. So I picked up the car. I knew because a lot of families, ladies and children, who would be struggling to run it, you know. So I came into the domestic area, mm. and sure enough, there are a lot of people in night gowns and all, in town right. gowns, with children, and we could see death on their face. That is the kind mm. of expression. Mm. Mm. I put maximum number of people in the ambassador. Came, drove, dropped them next to the runway, came back. I was crossing. Now again, I crossed the station commander okay. uh, in his uh, vehicle. So he stopped me. He told me, "KK, uh, what is happening?" Uh, because at that time, if you remember, not many people knew about tsunami. That is a fact. I mean, nobody. I, honestly, sir, you are at least using the word "not many people." In my opinion, nobody knew. Probably some uh, students of geography knew. Yeah. Uh, so we were at a loss anyway. Uh, so I said, "Okay, sir." Uh, he said, "He asked me what is happening, KK. Uh, can you get airborne?" Okay. So I immediately reversed the vehicle. I went to the uh, you know dispersal where we call the dispersal where the helicopters are parked. As you are aware, you know in Karnikabar we have one helicopter 24/7, which is parked all the time for any rescue of any of the islands. Correct. So uh, anyway, I went. I did a quick uh, you know external inspection of the helicopter as its fitness to fly, and I looked for co-pilot. My uh, same officer, flying officer Vijay, was available. I had a flight engineer in sergeant das and a gunner or a load master in sergeant dk sharma i was in my pajama and vest no slippers no specs mm. uh, there was no time to waste so i borrowed a pair of slippers from the technician we started up and got a bomb we took off mm. this i give full credit to the professionalism and the crew coordination of my crew who was on board that we could execute a safe takeoff in this crisis situation As I got airborne, I turned right towards the domestic area. Now you you have done a number of missions, uh, rescue missions. Every time you are briefed to what to look for and what is the situation like. Here is a situation which I was not totally not aware. aware of at all. 
So when I turned right, it was shocking. It was shocking to say the least. Because the sea had already invaded completely. Waves as high as 30 feet. The water was totally churned up. And they they had demolished most of the buildings by then. There were hardly any buildings standing. There were a few buildings with uh, two-story buildings which were there. And I saw a group of people stuck on the rooftop. So I immediately uh, decided to uh, rescue them. I did an orbit, positioned myself to uh, rescue them. But in the turn itself, I lost them because by the time the giant waves had started, they came even over the uh, second floor uh, top roof. uh, uh, These people you are now saying, were they on the other side of the runway or we are still talking about the seaward side of the... All all these are on the seaward side of the runway. And when you are saying waves were coming, sir, uh, maybe my poor understanding, but it was never a one wave. It was a continuous wave only... Height kept on increasing. Is that so, sir? Yeah, it is exactly like uh, normal waves only, but you know, high intensity in terms of speed. It is estimated that the speed of these waves are 100, uh, 100 to 150 kilometers. My God. And okay. you can imagine the, the amount of hydro force that it can generate at a height of about 30 to 40 feet high. Now, the right. giant waves are quite, uh, quite high. And each wave would come, it will demolish whatever it, it's on the standing on its uh, way, and it will go back few kilometers inside and then the next wave. That is a kind of... Uh, you and, know. And, and if you can hold your thought here, when you are getting, you have already got airborne, you have turned right, you have tried to uh, pick up the same survivors in the orbit and you have lost them. Yeah. Uh, I would be intrigued to ask you a question, sir. Were you aware where ma'am and the kids were at this moment? Uh, to be frank, uh, everyone asked me this question. I had told them, uh, run towards the runway. Okay. Now, to be frank, there was no time for anyone. You put yourself in that position. There's no time to think of, uh, you know, other things. Because you are uh, seeing a, a very, very severe disaster that's happening mm-hmm. in front of you. And yes. you know that there are many people who are struggling for their life in this water. There is no, absolutely no time to think of other things. Right. One has to focus on, uh, you know, rescuing people. That's all what the priority was. Relatively, probably all those who went towards the runway were relatively safe. Though we do not know what is going to happen next. And then, uh, then we found many people on the rooftops and balconies and all waving at us. So we started picking them up. And we picked them up by winching them up. You know, the MI-8 is a medium lift helicopter, just for the, yes. the other viewers. Sure. sure. Uh, and it has got a winch, which has got a capacity of 150 kgs, but limited to a one person at a time. So we went, uh, stopped the helicopter over the uh, building, about, about height of about 15 meters or so, hovering, what we call. Right. And uh, we had to send down uh, one of the uh, the flight gunner, because mm-hmm. many people were so uh, so scared that they were yes. not even willing to move and get attached to the hook also. Hook. So we had to go down, hook them on, we winch them up, uh, and uh, put them in the helicopter. Like that once you picked up about seven eight, we will drop them next to the heli- uh, next to the runway. Okay. At this time, I wanted to inform the station commander as to what is happening. Okay. So the air traffic control was damaged. The building was damaged. So they made a under the uh, senior air traffic control officer Satyendra Singh and Elan Govan. They made a makeshift air traffic control on a gypsy vehicle. Okay. So I transmitted to them on the, uh, the radio set that, uh, look, this is what's happening. The waves are, uh, high waves are coming in. And you, please inform the station commander so. Right. Then he told me, sir, station commander is missing. Because he himself had gone, driving into the domestic area, and he got washed off in, in one of the waves. Yes. yes. Luckily, fortunately for us, uh, he uh, did not uh, go into the sea, but uh, he got washed off towards the boundary wall, and he could hold on to the boundary wall. And once started, water started receding after a couple of hours, you could uh, wade through the water and come. You must, many people may remember 
they figure in uh, giving briefing to their TV uh, channels in in uh, torn pajama kurta. Yes, and Bandy sir was my Bandy sir was my CEO in Leh uh, just about two years back, and I distinctly remember this uh, sight of Bandy sir in a you know in a kurta and a pajama. And, uh, yeah. Now, uh, in the absence of station commander, I was the de facto number. Uh, the I had to be, take on the charge because number two there. Yes. So I told the people, I communicated with them to run from the runway, go towards the boundary wall on the other side, that is, towards the village, and be available there and be ready to break the wall and move further in in case required, on which I will give a command for. Okay. Then we continue with the mission. We continued to pick up these uh, people and drop them at the runway. And uh, again, uh, situational awareness of my co-pilot, we tune on to the HF frequency, the long-range communication, okay. because there was no communication to the island at that time. The BSNL tower was washed out. No communication, nothing. So we, uh, I gave a call to Chennai Air Traffic Control and said that uh, we are hit by a severe earthquake and the Air Force station had been washed off. Please pass okay. a message to Air Force headquarters. Okay, sir. Probably this is the first message which reached the mainland about tsunami. Uh, was this message acknowledged, sir? Uh, they they acknowledged. Initially, it was a garbled kind of uh, right. you know, reply, but then uh, they asked us to repeat, so we repeated. In a normal case, we have a line of sight communication between helicopter or aeroplane and ATC. That's right. Here, your situational awareness, your presence of mind made you tune onto another instrument which was available in your aircraft, which we normally don't use. Am I right, sir, when I'm saying that? When you're uh, when you're flying there, uh, we uh, don't require to normally use it. Correct. So you just uh, the presence of mind of your crew that they said let's uh, switch this on. You have communicated one or two attempts, and you have successfully been able to communicate into the mainland the information which was most crucial at that time. I was looking for other other my senior other pilots to launch another helicopter. Unfortunately for me, the most uh, senior and most experienced two of them, Scornard uh, Niger and Flight uh, Lieutenant Sachin Kadam. They also got caught in the waves. The uh, former uh, Niger, of course, escaped, but though he lost his uh, children, and he was neither in a physical or mental state to fly, and the latter, Sachin Kadam, never returned. So I had no other experienced crew to be launched in such a, 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 in a kind of a severe disaster. Sure. Little later, uh, Wing Commander Maheshwar, he was the chief operation officer. He, along with his wife and daughter, had gone into water. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, they were taken by the waves, but a matter of luck that they all three managed to escape. They caught onto some uh, gas cylinder or something, and all three of them escaped. So he came onto the scene. I told him we launched him along with uh, flight attendant here that time. Now, what I saw that time was there was a radar ramp on which about 300 people had taken refuge. This radar ramp was about to collapse, and we would have lost all 300 of them. Now we shift our focus to this radar ramp. And we started winching up people from there. People are of all combinations, aged, ladies, small children. Now, there was no question of you know, limiting it to one person on the winch at a time. I had a very uh, energetic uh, young uh, Sergeant Sandhu with me, a technician. Mm-hmm. So I dropped him on the radar ramp and told him to hook up people by weight, two or three in combinations, and we pulled them out. And put them all, and by the time it became about 18 of them in the helicopter, dropped them on the runway. Uh, we could, by and large, completely evacuate all these people. Okay. Sir. By now, I found the waves had slowly started subsiding. Okay. So I passed a message to the people through the air traffic control. Now, not to panic. 
for the time being the the onslaught is seems to have uh, you know this, this could be approximately uh, in terms of flying time about an hour would have passed yeah about 45 minutes or so 45 minutes an hour or so and your same aircraft which was on sr which was refueled to a uh, to a capability that it was uh, doing this mission that's correct so uh, then the people were told that you can now be you know relax for the time being and in case anything uh, i'll pass my information that time Right. I have finished flying about two hours, fifteen minutes on this helicopter. Sure. And I switched over to the second helicopter along with uh, flying officer Devrath Bandarkar. Bandarkar, yes. Yeah, and we continued with this uh, evacuations. Now the water started receding, so there were some people who were marooned here and there, and we put this meat down. Now you'll also appreciate meat requires a standard helipad, yes. but it's not available. Very small spaces were there where it could accommodate a small little, uh, you know, single engine helicopter. But we fitted in this helicopter, landed there because that was the near the hour. And once again, uh, kudos to the professionals of the Air Force and the crew, uh, you know, cooperation by the crew and the coordination. We could safely land at many places and pick up people and drop them at the runway. Hmm. While all this was happening, there were a couple of things happening on the ground also. Once water started uh, receding, uh, you know, teams of small teams were formed under the leadership of uh, Skonda Sudhakar. Uh, Skandar uh, Satyander, then uh, Ilan Govan, uh, Srinivas, uh, Satyan uh, Shiva, and uh, Skandar Pramod. All of them for small teams, and they started wading through water and started looking for survivors. Hmm. So this also parallelly happening. It is a very Herculean task because there are a lot of creepers, crawlers, and uh, water was it was very slushy to go through the water, and the sea had invaded actually. Hmm. And also, uh, there were bodies started surfacing. Yeah. Now, we started taking a headcount and we found many people are missing. Just to give me the context of when you say many, obviously, I mean, it's difficult for you to recollect, but the numbers must have been quite scary. You know, I mean, I'm saying... Yeah, uh, may- from the Air Force, uh, we lost about 106, if I, my memory is correct. 106 from the whole island, uh, more than uh, close to about uh, 2,000 odd people lost. So, that is a kind of loss. Unlike in a normal earthquake, earthquake did not take away many people because the buildings uh, did not collapse because of the construction. But a tsunami took the lives. Right. And uh, on ground, uh, people had no water, not a drop of water to drink, not to talk of food. Mm. The medical setup was completely washed off. Mm. The, our senior doctor was washed off. So there was no medical facility at all. And uh, my wife was the senior most lady that time because station commander's wife was out of station. So she, along with a few others, went on consoling people and trying to give them, uh, you know, whatever little is available here and there, uh, in basically consoling them, especially those who lost the people, the near and dear ones. There were many people. They lost in many combinations. Some mm. lost wife and children, some lost husbands, some lost only children. Mm. And they were all sitting there, uh, you know, you can imagine in a highly traumatized state. There was a wing commander, uh, the commanding officer Chabra, he had lost his wife. Hats off to him. Despite all that, uh, he put uh, he asked his son to sit there only, and then he went on doing whatever rescue from on the ground possible. Mm-hmm. So the kind of uh, you know, the intensity of wave could be assessed from the air because I saw huge trees. We had gigantic trees there. They were floating like twigs, and huge containers were floating like small cylinders. That is the kind of you know force this uh, waves had. Nothing would stand on its way. And everything, uh, it had taken off maybe in uh, 20 minutes to half an hour's time. It clearly washed off everything what uh, was required. Mm-hmm. And uh, by about uh, 
five hours, 15 minutes, I flew uh, in two helicopters. Right. Uh, no water to drink. Uh, you know how uh, uh, careful we are about pre-flight meals and things like that, but none of us had water to drink, nothing to eat. But then, you know, one thing that the Air Force teaches us, selfless service. When yes. you get a, an opportunity, you got a, another life, uh, you don't bother about these kind of things. I'm just highlighting this. So five hours or 15 minutes of flying peacetime also is extremely difficult for us. Really but that much, uh, basically, it, it just tells us the endurance, the limit of human endurance. I agree with you, sir. And I know one point that has always been uh, discussed at length and has been told to all of us, which is so true, sir, that we actually have to also take care of the safety. I'm just saying and extrapolating the information that you're going, giving yeah. to us, that it should not happen that the aircraft becomes unserviceable because something that you have done. So the, yeah. the, the possibility of saving more number of lives is only limited or is possible when you do a good mission or a good landing. So every survivor and every inch that you get up, uh, you get the person up, you have to be as much. So five hours or 15 minutes, I'm just drawing a parallel, sir. Five hours or 15 minutes on a straight leg. And this is a totally action-packed real life where you don't know about what's happening to your family. So I, I do admit that it, is, it has been, must have been very challenging, sir. It certainly was very, very challenging. Definitely, it was challenging, both uh, physically as well as uh, mental uh, stress-wise. But again, when I said, no, we are in that kind of mental state that uh, we are not bothered about this kind of All these things stress caught up a little later right. you know, after flying was over. But while flying, it was basically to, like you said, uh, complete the mission, but safely. Yeah. Uh, that is the reason why I could not launch. We had some junior pilots with me, but yeah. I could not launch them immediately. I told him to wait for a senior, uh, somebody on senior to come on the scene right. because it is a futile losing a helicopter. That's right. life. It would have added to the entire uh, trauma. We also went on the, all the island, uh, entire island to have a look and, uh, you know, there was devastation all around. Water had come in almost one to one point five, one and a half kilometers inside. Mm. Mm. And uh, there were no major buildings because of, most of them were attached huts and all. They're all washed off. Uh, whatever little uh, rescue and etc. that we could do, we did. And uh, in the meantime, uh, one Donier also came uh, with the Air Force Component Commander, Air Commander KKV Kumar at that time. So he uh, all flew us and we gave him the current situation. Now, Air Force, as you know, we are prepared for this 24-7. Air Force got in a swift action and the headquarters activated Sulu Air Base, the AN-32. And uh, by about afternoon around 3 o'clock, the first AN-32 landed on the runway. The, the unit was commanded by Group Captain Gipin that time, now an Air Marshal. Wonderful job because the runway was cracked and one third of the runway was underwater. Mm. So once again, professionalism of our pilots, they landed on this partially serviceable runway and these operations continued the, till late night with uh, makeshift night facilities of you know small lamps. We, we call them goo, uh, the goosenecks, uh, kerosene lamps to light up the runway. So the relief materials came and uh, started, we started getting some fresh water, food, etc. And also evacuated uh, people in the priority of casualties then the ones uh, who lost their near and dear ones and then the evacuation continued the next day. So uh, that night, we all slept on the runway. It was once again a traumatic because there were, there were bodies of, you know, there were 28 uh, odd bodies we could retrieve that day. And uh, we did a partial cremation because there was nothing to cremate them. So it, it kind of, uh, with the kerosene extra, we cremated them. And identifying the body, most of the body had become mutilated by afternoon because of the high temperature and humidity of that place. And the night was uh, once again scary with a lot of aftershocks. 
ladies and children were there. By next day, the uh, IL-76, the mighty jets came, landed, and uh, further evacuation took place. And we evacuated all the personnel from the island who all wanted to go out, uh, Air Force and civilians, everyone. At the Air Force station, we 50 of us stayed back as a team. Yes. And uh, I continued flying there for the next 10 days or so with my team uh, because every island had faced the same same problem. Right, right. Whenever you landed in a, uh, whenever you landed in a, uh, any of these places, it used to have a very strong smell of decomposed human bodies that told us the, mag the magnitude of the uh, loss of lives. Yeah. And uh, ten days we, we we were there. That's how the, this is an ent entire episode as I can recollect now. I must have missed out some timelines. I must have missed out some names because there are many people who are involved and various stages contributing towards his rescue operations. I'm sure, sir, uh, I just want to even ask you something because, you know, it's uh, it moves every individual who hears this and this is not the first time because uh, Vijay, your first co-pilot and uh, Devrak Bhandarkar, they came to my our unit in uh, 112, sir. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, two good youngsters and but the kind of uh, fear that was in and I'm, I'm saying this on camera, that uh, when DJ used to say, sir, uh, when it is confined areas, the first thing that, sir, I see in a mall in Bangalore, we were posted in Bangalore, is how do I exit? How do I run in case something happens? And uh, one was really sympathetic towards him and saying, yeah, we understand, but one could not really relate. And uh, Sergeant Das, the flight engineer, uh, right. he also came to our unit. So I, I've been associated and I've been hearing this, but it is definitely, every time I hear it, 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 it chokes me. So I want to ask you one more question, sir, that it's been you know, 16 years now. And uh, many a times after that also, you have done very challenging missions. And I'm sure that as a helicopter pilot, not only as a helicopter pilot, but as a as a selfless human being and the baby I taught in the Air Force, uh, many a times we think, Kash, 15 minutes The situation here was a very unprecedented situation. A challenge was thrown at us. And there was no time to think or, you know, it is only act. There was no time to react, actually. So, uh, in what is what is available with us by the helicopter, and uh, men with uh, you know what we call josh or dedication. So, with that, we did the best. It was delayed. Uh, probably, we could have uh, picked up some more people from the rooftops for sure. That that was yes. Sir. But I also put it this way that if the waves had started uh, say five minutes before, then we would have had a large number of loss. So a few minutes made a lot of difference in uh, mm -hmm. people, uh, you know, who who were who could run away, uh, run ahead of the waves and save themselves. And you know, sir, we've been talking. Uh, I've, I've spoken to you in this subject earlier also, and uh, there are so many lessons that one could really draw uh, from. You know, every aspect. In fact, every sentence that you speak, and as being into the facilitative and leadership space. Uh, even if I play this particular interaction of us in any corporate company and say that every statement that Ekamuda Kumar made, let us try and interpret it the way it happens in any other specter, uh, there could be a series of conversations. So, you know, it's just that the time is going to keep me a little bit uh, confined to the question. And I'm going to only ask you one question, sir, and trying to understand that when we talk of decision making, uh, normally it is said that, you know, we will take decision based on inputs. And here was a situation that you had uh, dynamic inputs, maybe no inputs, uh, maybe uh, incorrect input. I don't know how to put it. So could you throw some light on 
what was the sequence? And now uh, I'm, I'm asking you this because I'm fully aware, sir, that when you're taking the decisions, it's your second nature. It is only when you must have processed it. So how, what are your thoughts on this? So decision making, uh, it's, uh, it's your ability to prioritize because, you know, at no time will you be able to take a decision where you can satisfy everyone and everything. So it's a priority. First priority was to uh, stay alive. Only then you can save others. Mm. So those, right. uh, it was uh, pointless uh, trying to probably, uh, you know, uh, go back to a house and, you know, uh, look for things, etc. You have to, if you know that there's a danger, you have to get out of that. Sure. Then once having achieved that, what is your next priority is to save others because you have saved yourself, not for yourself. Sure. It's for others. That's what we've been taught by Air Force. So now the next priority is to save others. While saving others, you cannot endanger the machines that you're flying because that will be catastrophic. Right. That will bring down a morale, that will uh, disbalance the whole thing. So you've got to keep that also in mind. Sure. So at every stage, these priorities are kept in mind. Save others, keep flight safety and the safety on ground uh, in mind. Right. Of course, we did stretch ourselves and the machine to the maximum limits that sure. you also see in Siachen Glacier. We do that. Yes. Here, we must have stretched it even a little more, but we are not foolhardy. We were not foolish. Right. We uh, did uh, anything blindly and uh, we endangered. So, this is uh, how this is the decision making. And uh, Yes, communication is very essential because decision to communicate to mainland because after that we knew there nobody could have come to the island. Nobody would know what's happening in the island. Uh, it's a Sunday, you can know you know okay, what happens in the mainland. Yes. And no TV, no radio station, nothing is there. So you have to transmit. And uh, that's a good decision, again, taken. And then prioritizing whatever resources that we had, looking after uh, the people on ground. And also, once the evacuation truck from there to mainland took place, what is the priority of evacuation of the people who are casualties, then those who are you know, badly traumatized because of the loss of lives of their family members. And then we decided that we don't keep the families in the island anymore because that, that becomes a, a problem for our functioning itself. Yes. So they had to be evacuated. So, I mean, uh, one, one is really uh, you know, touched at heart by understanding what must have gone through your mind, because you're the CEO. At the end of the day, sir, uh, the CEO is there to lead from the front. And uh, an exceptional uh, rescue and an exceptional decision-making leadership on the crisis uh, situation. Uh, I am fully aware, sir, that the photograph which is behind you on your left shoulder is you receiving the Kirti Chakra from the President uh, of India that time. I think it was uh, Abdul Karam, sir, sir? Yeah, it was Dr. Abdul Kalam. Right. And I'm also aware that even Vijay was uh, honored with the Shaurya Chakra and DJ got a, a VM gallantry. So these awards are, uh, yes, of course, there are recognition. But more than that, sir, I think the, the feeling that you've been able to do something which was for what you have been trained. It's the first time, I'm sure, many, many, many friends of ours are going to listen to the person who's been there on the, on the site, I'm saying. And uh, I'm fully aware of this fact also, sir, that today the, the way you are saying it, uh, you've gone through serious and very, very severe amount of emotional turmoil in your family when you meet your own uh, comrades because I'm a postmate of nature and I'm not able to uh, even uh, have any discussions on these topics or correlated topics with him for obvious reasons that I don't know how to react. It's, uh, that's my shortcoming. So uh, thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. And before we end, sir, if, if there's anything you would like to just uh, say, sir, the stage is open. Yeah. You know, in this uh, tragedy, we lost many lives 
and most of us lost all the property. But despite all that, during this uh, unprecedented, uncertain episode, we as human beings, we rose to the occasion. And despite the loss of life and property, and with no resource at hand, we took on the challenge that was thrown at us. As the air warriors, the selfless dedication of the air warriors who are operating at the outer limits of our human endurance, which amply highlights the ethos of Indian Air Force. So I'm very thankful for India, to the Indian Air Force, the National Defense Academy and the school. I'm from Science School, Karakotam, because you learn all these things over the years. So yes. every one of us, each one of us. Yes. So this is the uh, message. I'm ever, ever thankful and given an opportunity. I also must just mention here the awards. Uh, after the episode is over, I told all my, my people, I said, uh, we are just done what we are expected to do. We are not done anything exceptional. We are not done anything extra because we are alive so we could help the other people. So I am not going to recommend anyone for any awards. But an Air Force has its own ways of recognizing uh, the efforts. And that's how a lot of people got uh, very gallantry awards, rightly, in the eyes of uh, the higher uh, authorities, rightly so. So it highlights the ethos, work ethos of Indian Air Force. Jai Hind. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. And you summed it up so beautifully, sir, that at the end of the day is the organizational culture. And today, you being a retired Air Commodore, me being a retired group captain, I'm sure both of us are as much confident that should something, uh, should the country need our helicopter fleet or the fighters or any of our air warriors, we are confident that the culture of the Air Force is such that our people who are there will rise up to every occasion that the country wants us. I think that's the confidence uh, the Air Force has given us to say it openly today. And thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. Uh, that's all from my side, sir. It was great talking to you. And uh, until we meet again, sir, goodbye and thank you. Thank you. Jain, sir. Jain. Jain. So that is all from us this time. Look forward to interacting with you uh, time and again. Do stay tuned. And if there are any specific questions that you are really wanting to know, uh, feel free to connect with me on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn. I will ensure that your questions go back to Ekamodo BSK Kumar. And he will be more than happy to interact with any of you who wants to know what exactly happened or his thoughts on many aspects that he has just enumerated during the, our interaction. So thank you very much. That's all from our side. Good day and Jai Hind.